This is Around River City. I'm Ken Cooper. This episode of the podcast is going to be just a little bit different. Instead of having a conversation with one person about themselves, what I had a chance to do recently is have a lot of conversations with many different people talking about one person. His name is Mike Kearns. Mike Kearns was the host of the Lead Balloon Show on WKTY Radio for over 40 years. He called play-by-play high school and college games for at least as long. And I think more importantly, he was a great friend. He was a great husband, a great father, and we'll talk about all of that. So coming up on Around River City, it's our Lead Balloon Tribute to Mike Kearns. I'll be interested to see how they get Roscoe, Harvey, Bugsy, Goofy, Jr., Tenacious, R. Diddy, Precious, Cuddle, Short, and the Plaque. It's time to sign up for the Charlie Kearns Memorial three-person scramble, Saturday, June 2nd at Drugan's Castle Mound. It's the oldest and the best three-person scramble in the area. This is our 33rd year. I was reading an article last night about fathers and sons, and memories came flooding back to the time I took my son out for his first drink. Off we went to our local bar. I got him a Miller Genuine. He didn't like it, so I drank it. Same with the Coors and the Bud. Now, by the time we got to the whiskey, I could hardly push the stroller back home. They sure don't make radio like that anymore. I'm Patrick Kearns, and those were just a very few highlights from the world's worst radio program, also known as the Lead Balloon Show. The radio show my dad, Mike Kearns, hosted for over 40 years on WKTY. Before we go any further, I want to make it clear that the last bit was only a joke. At least I don't recall it happening, or what bar it was. This is a lead balloon tribute to my dad. Michael Patrick Kearns was born on March 20th, 1952 in La Crescent, Minnesota. He was one of three children of Charlie and LaVon Kearns. Charlie was already a legend in the area hosting the morning show on WKTY and calling high school football and basketball games. One of my dad's first jobs was working at the brewery, and friends have often wondered why he would ever have left that job. But he did, and he followed in Charlie's footsteps taking over the lead balloon show and play-by-play responsibilities. While becoming a Hall of Fame broadcaster with his dad, Mike made hundreds of friends. And with my mom, Mike's first wife, Dawn, raised me and my sister, Erin. And he was an extremely proud grandfather to Riley, Reagan, and Rory. One of the places my dad loved to hang out was the smart table at the bluff side. It had everything he wanted, good friends, fun conversation, and especially beer. My name is Steve Rose from Rose Jewelers. Mike Crutt. I'm Dan Wettstein, Dan the Weatherman on WKTY. My name is Dave Clements. 
he had lived that whole show. We all know that. And that was, I mean, sure he had, yeah, sure he had it scripted per se, but he also, I mean, who, who does a three-hour show without a format? You know, that was pretty cool. Mike was just Mike when we talk over the phone. It was like we were standing next to each other here at the bluff side. It was, it was just so easy to talk. All of a sudden, you know, one minute it stretched into five, and most of it we weren't talking about the lumber yard. We were talking about stuff that happened, you know, sports and stuff, and yeah, it was really interesting. How, and, and the conversation just flowed. It was never anything scripted. I think that was what was so interesting about his show. He never had a script for 40 years. It was just whatever came to his mind. Now, I, I remember you talk about scripted. This is Dan. Uh, when, when Dick Record um, got involved with WKTY, when he purchased it, um, he was a little bit uptight with Mike about uh, doing uh, work prior to the show, uh, prep work. I didn't like him. I didn't like any competitors. So, because, <laughs> you know, we were in a tough war. 3 a.m. stations battling it out every day on the street and uh, for news coverage. It was pretty rough time. And uh, Mike, I remember listening, driving up the street, listening to his show, which didn't end until 9.30. And I thought, that is terrible radio. <laughs> well... Eventually, he ended up working for us after we bought his station, and we changed it a little. We wanted to modernize it a bit, and so we did, and he went with the flow uh, as much as Mike Kearns could. <laughs> I remember him early on resisting every change that we had proposed. After a while, Dick got to understand Mike, and... Uh, Everything was good there. But, but yeah, prep work, can you imagine prepping for the lead balloon show? It wasn't about to happen. He, did, he didn't like to compromise very much. He liked to do things his way. He was stubborn, I think. Yeah, and, and it worked. Oh, it did. Absolutely it worked. And there was no sense, and I realized that as a program director at one point early on, there's no sense trying to fight this. You know, it's working. You know, why, why change it? I mean, yeah, it's unique, and it doesn't exist anywhere else in the radio landscape of America, but it worked in lacrosse with Mike Kearns. The one thing I will say about his, his uh, you know, testimonials and endorsements and so forth is that they worked. Um, I can't tell you how many businesses Mike did a live show from or did a remote from or did a live ad for, and it, they were successful. He was really good at motivating his audience, his listeners, to basically do what he told them to do. I remember him being at uh, Quillen's. They'd have a prime rib sale once a year. By the time his live show was over, they were out of prime rib. You know, I mean, that's just the way he worked. You know, he was he was very good at it. He had some very, very loyal listeners. I think what most people didn't realize about Mike was that he knew his customer base, too. The, the, the people out there, he genuinely loved people, and people loved him back. But at the same time, he had... He got to make so many relationships with all of these businesses, and he's like, I might not have made the most money, but I know all of these people, and I can 
I'm good friends with them. They give me a deal on a new refrigerator. They give me a deal on lumber. You know, he got water treatment. Water treatment. (laughs) (laughs) There, there. Jewelry. That's a huge part of what he loved. What he was doing is is working with all the local businesses and making friends with all those people. One of the things that was really cool was his birthday list. And, you know, if you saw this, he had this three-ring binder, and he had this list for every day, and it was just a neat thing. And if you, like, I, my kids ended up on it, you know. And they're, they're, yeah, but, you know, my brother Ron, who lived at the time in, in, ten, in uh, Georgia, was on it. But my kids, who were, you know, four and two, got put on it. And, yeah, but isn't that cool? He, he realized that the, probably the most important day in all of our lives really is our birth, our, our date of our birth. And he realized the significance of that to everyone and made sure that anybody that he had any kind of relationship with, their name got mentioned on the air on their birthday or their anniversary. Except but, nobody listened to the show. So when he said happy birthday to him... Well, there they were, didn't there hear were four him. or five people listening, Patrick. Oh, God, look at look at you got six, seven people here. You had at least that many listeners. You know, actually, if you wanted to find out what was going on in Lacrosse, his was a station to listen to. Whether it was a, a fundraiser or a sporting event or a concert or whatever, he he would be at times he would be one big public service announcement. Absolutely, yeah. Like I said earlier, I had to call him up and say, "Hey, I got, we got something going on in tourism," and he'd put me on. He always he teased me a lot that I got a lot of free advertisements. You did. I know I did. <laughs> we all did. <laughs> I'm Amy Meyer, and I've worked with Mike for about 14 years. Mike was one of my favorite people to work with because we did a lot of remote stuff together. Um, we had clients. You know, I had clients that would only work with Mike, you know. Um, My name is Teresa Tim. One of the funniest stories that I remember coming from a previous media company to SPL and KTY. Ellen Finch was the sales manager. Mikey was KTY, the grand poobah of that that station. And we had Emil McAndrew. So it was like this trio of a management team. Mikey threw a Christmas party for the staff and we went to the Eagle's Nest and it's because he had pockets full of um, chits and he th- and he threw them on the table and said order what you want guys Merry Christmas on Mikey because he had all of these buy one get one stuff from all the times he would visit at, at that place and that was our Christmas party <laughs> uh, I think my favorite thing about Mike is just his ability to just crack people up on a, on a second's notice you know he was this just this big huggable lovable teddy bear you know with a sense of humor so you don't get much better than that i knew michael from way back sipping beer down at the brewery and uh, the friendship just grew from there because we both worked in the in the bottle house 
at at the brewery. So that's how it got started. And that's when he weighed 120, 125. Uh, he might have hit 125. <laughs> yeah, that was the day he started. It was probably about 150 when he left at the end of the summer. But it, he, it was great for all of us because it was free beer and uh, it was just a, a great way to get to know Michael and uh, it just continued on from then and then work and Charlie always would come into the store and and then Mike came in and uh, it just everything flourished from there it was it was actually easy uh, the only difference was that Mike and Charlie were so different in their styles and it just you would you'd see Charlie out and uh, he was kind of uh, quiet mild meek mannered guy and uh, then you'd see Mike out and it was a totally different story but uh, it, it was for me it was easy and most of my work that we started doing live shows was Charlie was already gone and uh, it just I picked it up with Mike one year and we flourished from there uh, it, it worked extremely well I think he was a natural at it and uh I'm sure he was intimidated to some degree, but he he did it so well that uh, there was no reason to be intimidated. He, he never tried to be his dad. No. Mike was just Mikey. Yeah. Patrick, your dad was actually a rock and roll DJ at the time. Rock and roll? WSPL. Yeah. And he, he did a rock and roll radio station. That's what he was, that's what he was doing. Yeah, that's what he was doing when your grandfather passed. I'm Dawn, Mike's first wife. The longest he's ever had. <laughs> I don't know what started it, what brought it up. Maybe he said it on the air first, and then after that, he just repeated it. <laughs> Often. The most dreaded segment of his Lead Balloon show was Fridays, when he would call Drugans. And I was always, hope I was always hoping Mary would pick up the phone. And uh, I was always warned or threatened, whatever you want, to not encourage her. Of course, that means you just encourage her all the more. Right. Oh, of so, yeah, her yeah. jokes were. Yeah, the witch joke made the phone ring. <laughs> amen, amen. <laughs> when Record came in the Kearns' office after the show and said, Rich joke, was it Mary Drugan? He said, yep. And, uh, Record just nodded his head and walked away. <laughs> Scott, tell, well, yeah, Scott, tell said, a joke. Yeah, do you remember it? Yeah. Oh, do I remember yeah. it? Well, I do too. But yeah. Yeah. Well, it was. So I asked Mike, why don't witches wear underwear? And I think I recall him saying, oh no. He just kept saying, oh no. And I said it again. Why don't witches wear underwear? And he said, what? And I said, so they can get a better grip on the broom. <laughs> I mean, that, come on. You know, it, it, it's sophomoric humor, but it's funny. I, I mean, it's not like children were listening to this show. You know, and it, to have the two, Mary and I, on the air together was not good. No good could come of it. Now, mind you, I had tested this out on some 70-year-old ladies first, and they laughed and laughed and thought it was great. So uh, I'm not sure about the rest of uh, the greater lacrosse, but yeah, that was it. I don't know how it got started, but Mary, I think, was the one who did, to have our little uh, signature by telling a joke. Of course, Mike was always joking around, so that was real easy. He made it made it pretty easy. 
the day that I read and found out that Mikey had passed, um, I wrote this down and I just put it in a safe spot. And it was what I considered probably the three uh, almost bleeped out jokes that I told. And he would give me heck, but he always let him fly. And uh, I just wanted to keep that as a memory of him because that was always fun to go on the air and he'd always get nervous because sometimes I push the envelope. But um, I think I never got arrested. <laughs> we were up. on the air with him with him for over 30 years, right? We figured. How many? We're 60 and I know we started doing how many? about 30. I said if we, you know, if we were with him for 30 years, once a week, we were with Mike Kearns 1,500 times. That's 1,500 times we were on the air with him. I don't doubt that. Isn't that, I mean, when you hear that number, that just sounds, and I'm sure Rose Jewelers was more, but I just thought 30 years, 52 weeks a year, once in a while, I suppose it was canceled Christmas or, you know. So, anyway. And I remember being, you know, you and I wanted to be professional and do everything, you know, right. And Mikey just made it so easy because he was, he was Mike. He was easy to work with. And each and every year, a little bit would change and it would get different. And um, yeah, 30 So years. then we had, we started doing the Charlie Kearns Memorial. And then I can remember Mike uh, said, well, we want to do a live broadcast on the Friday before um, the tournament. And we'd like you to, we'd like to come up here and do it. And I said, okay, that'd be great. Yeah. And I think we did that for a couple of years. And then he convinced us that, that uh, maybe you should join the Friday crew. He says, really great, Steve Rose. You got Scott from Culligan and a few others. Uh, Wetsteins, you know, uh, we're, we're advertisers, and he says it's really kind of a, a nice family. You should think about doing that, and so it's probably in the mid '80s and when I, we I, started. I remember the, this too that you were you were supposed to be the one to do it, and you're like, you got to help me with this. I don't want to do this every. Help me with this, and and we'd kind of do rock paper scissors on who'd have to go live because we were both a little, you know, a little bit. Mary was, had experience. Uh, you actually worked for uh, WKTY. WKTY. Yeah, I did. I worked with Mike there for a short time. Right out of college. And I had to, I had learned to say news because I'd say news like a Norwegian. And Gosh, we feel very proud to be a part of uh, uh, the Mike Kern's legend and, and everything. I mean, I remember when we first um, started doing the Charlie Kern's Memorial out here. 85. I was five, I think, when it started. Yeah, the kids were young. It was for diabetes, and that's what, how, why his dad passed away. And it was his way to give back to the community, to start to, and to memorialize his father, who was an icon in this community. He was so nervous, and and uh, you know back then they didn't have a lot of tournaments like they do nowadays, and so his was a big one. So that was really good. He put a lot of work into it, as well as I have to say, Mike and Mary Drugan, and it was at Drugan's and. Um, well, we did the, the door prizes. We handled the door prize table, maybe sat on a few holes. Not, not nearly the work everybody else yeah. put into it. All the, the money, other than the prize money, um, went to the Diabetes Association. It started out that way, and then um, later on, it was the, they had the, the WKTY, the Sportscasters Club. And so then it went to scholarships for area high schools. Um, I remember when when they wanted to memorialize Charlie, 
and have a scramble and he wanted to have one of the first scrambles of the season back then there wasn't much competitive golf going on but he wanted to have the first one and have it big and it was big i think we had 260 66 players you know we played in sixums and all day long from six o'clock in the morning until late at night we just had turned uh, uh, into 18 holes in 1982 so it was a couple years probably after that when we started that's one of the first times I met Mike. I've always knew, known Mike, you know, listening to the radio. He's, you know, WKTY is just, you know, it's on every farm radio in the Cooley region, you know, that's for sure. Uh, my name is Gary Gamoki, and uh, I'm here to talk about the Charlie Kearns Memorial Golf Tournament, which I played in for years and years. It was a great, great tournament every year. Looked forward to playing in it. Great people, great competitors, well ran at Drugans, and it was always an event you look forward to every year. Um, besides how we did, the tournament was great. <laughs> but we did happen to escape in a couple second event winners and stuff when I played with uh, the Blank Boys and Johnny Welch and some other guys like that. So we had great times. Uh, so many fun memories of Michael, uh, the entrepreneur and the, and the guy that was in charge and long days for him and his family and it was just, Don was a super, super person and uh, just a great time. I think uh, what I remember most is waking up at like four in the morning and going out to the golf course with him in uh, setting pounding these stakes in the ground next to the greens and putting all these little signs up on every single hole before the first team teed off at 6.15 in the morning or whatever it was. He eventually got Drugans to take care of that for him, which was good. But yeah, I used to, I would be out there from... 4.30 in the morning until my dad was done uh, hanging out with everyone at the course, which could get pretty late some years. Definitely back in the day, uh, they hung around for a long time. <laughs> I'd have to comment on that because I know the good times didn't stop when you uh, the golf was over. <laughs> Continued for a long, long time inside. Yeah, when they, for a lot of years, it was the tea time started there was so many people it started at 6 15 in the morning and the last group didn't tee off until 3 30 or whatever so i mean they're not getting done until eight o'clock so it turned out to be a long day <laughs> i loved it i loved going i love being out at a golf course at any time and it was so fun to ride around on a cart with them and set all that stuff up, especially when I was younger. Uh, yeah, I remember that uh, very clearly, and it is very special for sure. I just got prompted by Mr. Jankowski. He said he used to call Eric Haug the human one-iron. <laughs> so Eric Haug... Eric Haug and my dad uh for i don't know how many years fantasy football oh, yeah. teammates team name 10. <laughs> eric six seven no i don't know how to tell you but then yeah. my dad a little shorter and rounder <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one.
Mikey was Mikey. <laughs> he was a little different when he was announcing ball games. He tried to be very professional in that aspect. Threw a few zingers here and there, but for the most part, he I thought he kept right to the game and treated everybody with respect. Mike Kearns was the same 24-7, 365. Just level, even keeled, nothing riled him, no spikes. He just was calm demeanor. It was, it was very cool. I can't believe how much he ran around. I mean, ball games, you know, home at 2.30 in the morning and on the air at 6. I mean, that was crazy. He did try, or he did write to, for the Tribune uh, Sports. Yeah, he tried that for, oh, I don't know. It wasn't a real long time. And then he said the reason why he wanted to go on the radio was because in, in the, for the Tribune, your work just started after the games were over. And with radio, you did the game and then a little bit afterwards, but then you were done. <laughs> he loved it, the play-by-play. Um, even though he was good on his show too and stuff and witty and stuff, but he, yeah, he would have kept going, I think, if he could have, um, doing the play-by-play. He kept saying how uh, lucky he was that he was able to broadcast like national game, you know, for UWL championship games and, and just state the high school basketball games. And he wanted to do the away games more so than the home games because he always felt that that way people, people that couldn't get to the game, so whether it be parents, grandparents, whoever, you know, wanna, you know, that they, he would do the games away for, you know. He and Charlie had done every inner city game for, I don't know what the, the number of years were, but he ended up skipping it to come and watch me at state, which was, a big deal and then I lost and the pressure of I knew he I read the article right before I played my match which was part of the problem <laughs> so was, that was like the first inner city game that he or Charlie had hadn't done and the reason for it was so that he could watch me at state <laughs> that's why I felt so bad after I mean I was pretty emotional afterwards because I just it was I knew it was a big deal that he did it and I wish that I would have one for him, I guess. <laughs> he was happy to be there either way. <laughs> With kids in sports, you know, you always knew Mike, you knew what he did, where he was, what, what you know, games he was um, broadcasting and things like that. So it was always kind of fun as I started working in radio that I could look across the gym when my kid was competing and see him there and then just go visit it with him after the game was over. So that was kind of nice to have that too. He was rather understated as a sports broadcaster. Um, he always told me he wanted to make it more about the players than about himself. He didn't want to be the guy that, you know, was what people were talking about. He wanted to let the players get that kind of attention. So he purposely, I think, tried to be kind of understated in his uh, in his play-by-play. -play. But you still could feel the excitement and picture the guys out on the floor playing. And the, the, the one thing that I used to worry about was is traveling because he would drive from lacrosse to decorah and, and it all happens at night and he i'm sure he hit deer oh i'm sure uh, he did more than once and probably skidded because 
all most of the stuff is in the winter. Yeah, it's obviously he was gone a lot during the winter um, months. Um, you just kind of deal with it. I just kind of, you know, he always thought that I did, you know, most of the stuff with the kids because he always had to be gone, you know, for games and stuff. Um, and then you worry about, you know, the, the bad weather. Um, even one time I went with him and then we were driving back and it got to be by the Toma area and it's like snow was coming at you, you know, just blinding. So we were kind of following these tracks of whoever made it before us. There wasn't much uh, traffic on the interstate and so then it was like all of a sudden, okay, we started going down in the ditch because that's what this, these tracks had done. So then he quick, I mean, I always felt safe with him. He was, I think he drove in so much weather that no matter what it was, and he wasn't ever nervous about any kind of weather either. And um, he survived all of them back on the air. That was the part he hated. He didn't mind doing all the play-by-play and the travel. He hated having to get up and come to work the next morning right. after that. You know? <laughs> but he uh, he prepared very well. I'm, I can just picture him sitting outside of the studio there and he'd have these little note cards and as he was preparing for that night's broadcast he would put all the statistics on there and he really did a lot of preparatory work before he ever got behind the microphone. He knew, you know, who the best player was on for, the opposing team. For sports. Team. Yeah, yes. Yeah, for, I don't No, think just sports. For his show. <laughs> no, just, he didn't do any prep work for his he show. He didn't need to. I think I probably went to, I would say, hundreds of games with my dad growing up uh, and sitting next to him. And if Scotty wasn't there, then I would sit right next to him and put a headset on and I would get to listen to the whole broadcast and have a pretty nice seat usually to watch the game. When I was in high school sports, yeah, I it didn't bother me because I went in for about two minutes a quarter, did my job, and then I came back out. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> there wasn't. Uh, there wasn't a lot of pressure on me. He if, his two falls yeah, in. Yeah. And then he if I didn't do something stupid, then I was golden. He actually told me that it, it, it was awkward for him to call the game when you were in it, and it, it was just a little, just a little weird for him that when you're on the court, you know, and it was just a, a different feeling for him. I think he was a natural at it. And uh, he, I'm sure he was intimidated to some degree, but he he did it so well that uh, there was no reason to be intimidated. He, he never tried to be his dad. No. Mike was just Mikey. Yeah. They yeah. did sports games together. They broadcasted. Yep. Uh, I don't know about... I assume then that they were... My dad was present during the Lab Balloon Show, whether how much he spoke on it with him I'm not sure but I know they did for I think several years broadcast the high school college football basketball games loved basketball he played basketball he was a good player and golf um, and he, of course he loved golf and <laughs> ended up really good at that too so. Mike used to uh, co-host this golf tournament up at Cedar Valley with, I think it was Papa Joe Chevalier. And we had a guy on our team that 
it was like his first time golfing, but Mike would go around and he'd make putts for everybody, you know, it was a scramble. But we got up to a par three, and there's a, it's, it's not a long shot, but Mike was just on his way behind us, and this guy, his first time golfing, got up, shanked it, it bounced off the cart path in front of him, dribbled up onto the green and went in the hole. And Mike just starts laughing his ass off, and he says, some things you just can't teach. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Well, the one golfing story I've got, I was with him at the time it was the country club. He and I were golfing, and we ran into uh, um, Father Dwyer and Bishop Hamas out on the course. Well, the next thing I know, we're driving over to the bluff side, grabbing a 12-pack and meeting those guys back out in the golf course, finishing the 12-pack by the time we got in. Um, I don't remember a whole hell of a lot what went on the rest of the evening. So when my dad was inducted into the Wisconsin Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was really special and stuff, but he, he, there again, he said, I don't deserve that. I mean, it was all because of my dad, because of Charlie. And um, um, we all went up there to Elkhart Lake, right? We all went up there for the induction ceremony and I was like, I mean, it was June, I think. And so I was, she was born July 6th, so I was very pregnant with, with my oldest. Um, and, and then we, so, and Dan and I went, and Patrick and Mom um, was there, and then he had a bunch of his buddies showed show up, up for him, which was really neat, because again, he, yeah. he didn't tell anybody about it. He wasn't going to broadcast the fact that it was happening, and so for his friends to to show up like that and, and be supportive, I mean, that was that was pretty cool. Well, well I, I remember the pilgrimage going to the induction of the Wisconsin Broadcasters Hall of Fame when he and his dad were going to be inducted at the same time. Um, and a bunch of us drove. It was Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, I think is where they had the event, and meeting all of his cronies. Six of us surprised him at uh, the uh, Hall of Fame banquet. Uh, you know, I, I, Wisconsin I, broadcasters. I, I, I filled up, uh, I took a van, I, I got wind of it through the station, and I called up five guys. It was Dave Clements and Mike Kratt, Steve Rose, uh, um, yeah, Dave Matulski. Was there, was there another one, or was that it? Well, anyway, when we walked down into the reception where they had the cocktail party, he took one look at us, and you should have seen the look of genuine surprise and genuine appreciation all at one time. All of these people that he went to high school with that owned businesses, you know, and were the the integral part of that whole lead balloon show they all made the trip i can't remember any wisconsin broadcasters association where clients and friends of the inductee went <clears throat> and then i think he came over and said please don't embarrass me or something like that <laughs> that was a really special thing getting to meet rooster and all the other goofballs that um thought it was so important so it's such an honor you know that Mikey was, you know, next to Euchre. And then he had this big script that he typed up that he was going to stay, and he started out, and then he just said, 
I'm just not, I'm just gonna ad lib it like he does with everything. Well, that's right. Yeah, I think we were talking about him being, he would get nervous for like the MC, the banquets, and that kind of stuff. But I think as soon as he started, he in, like, like just, he might prep something, but I don't think he ever used it. I think he just once he'd start, he could yeah. just he could just talk and. I think he was actually embarrassed that we were there because he was embarrassed that he was there because he didn't think he was yeah. up for the award anyway. Oh, he's uh, uh, totally worthy of it. Absolutely. I think he deserved it. <laughs> yeah. His dad was a humble, almost withdrawn guy as opposed to Mike, who was certainly more up. It was tough to uh, compliment him. He couldn't handle compliments. No, he didn't like that for some reason. Like We try and get him to submit you know, things for award purposes. He didn't want anything to do with that. I, and I think that was part of his charm, was that he was humble. He knew so many people, so many people knew him and loved him. It didn't matter to him. It didn't matter to him. He was going to be nice to you no matter what. Remember when he retired, he didn't want to, we did not have a party for him because he didn't want the attention. Right. He just was very, very humble, almost turned away from it, really. Yeah, we snuck a party in over at the old place in La Crescent. Oh, that's right. I remember that. The old Commodore. He he didn't want to be there. I, I don't know whether we disguise it as a birthday party or what. I think he caught on, but I know Don probably had to drag him over there. I'm Dan Sobronic, and uh, a musician, local musician here in La Crosse area. Been here for most of my life. Well, of course, I knew Mike. So I, I kind of met him through some friends uh, like Eric Haug, uh, John Pendleton, a lot of guys. He would, I think he golfed with these guys, you know. And they brought him up to Leon Leonas, which is a, a country tavern pub about, you know, 15 minutes out of La Crosse. Uh, especially for Packer games back in the, oh gosh, I suppose 90s. Um, so I got to know him more, so just by him being there, you know, and, you know, we'd start at noon and go all day. <laughs> and uh, so we became friends, but I think that the the, uh, the point where we, we started to become more f so friends or, you know, closer friends was when we were there, it was a, the night before Christmas Eve, but so it would be the 23rd of December, and the, there was a game on, of course, and we were there all day, you know, doing our thing, having fun, and so, and I would get the guitar out at some point and play some Christmas songs, because it was at that time of year, and, and uh, people would just sit around listening. So Mikey asked me, after I was done, you know, we're probably talking 10 o'clock at night, he says, Dan, why don't you come in to the studio tomorrow morning, you know, I do the Lead Balloon Show, and and sing some Christmas songs, you know, live on the air. And I'm like, oh, sure, that sounds great, you know. <laughs> and so the next morning came, you know, and it's like six in the morning, I gotta get up, and I, you know, I don't usually get up real early. It's been kind of my lifestyle for a long time. But I, I just remember getting out, of, getting up, and it's dark, and it's snowing, and I'm going, oh my God, why did I ever say I'd do this, you know? And so I did, I drove into town, and you know, I got to the studio a little before eight, and I was supposed to come on at eight o'clock, and and so I did. I, I, you know, played a few Christmas songs. I was just by myself, and I, and uh, and uh, little did I know that that was the start of a, a long tradition for me. That was it made Christmas Eve very special for me. And then, after two or three years of doing that every Christmas Eve morning, I brought the bluegrass band and string ties that I'm a part of, and then. We did that as a band, and uh, 
they just the guys loved it. It was just a perfect thing. And then so Mike and I just became more and more friends after that. And then um, you know he would take his uh, show on the road to Rose Jewelers and Quillins. I remember one time we so probably for maybe 15 years we did that every every Christmas Eve morning. Yeah. So that that's one of the more more special memories I have of Mike. John Smith and I always wanted to sing the national anthem, like at a Brewer game or whatever we could do. So, so we recorded that song, him and I, the national anthem, and we sent it off to whoever we needed to. We never did sing at the uh, at the Brewer game, but Mikey got a copy of that, and he replaced Whitney Houston's national anthem every every morning with our national anthem. So I was just I was kind of blown away, you know, to know that. I sometimes I get up early enough to hear it but you know it was, it was that and then John Wayne you know so it was quite an honor to know that he played John and I's version of the national anthem every morning what a spirit you know that he that he had has still if he knew I was listening in the morning he would play it his bumper music would be a Dan Fogelberg song but you know he just loved it I, I don't recall you know when we ever decided that or figured out that he was a fan but I probably played some of I play some of the songs when I'm out and he started talking about like run for the roses and part of the plan leader of the band and you know some of the songs that I do that he loves too so that's probably another reason you know we became friends leader of the band this time and his eyes are growing old but his blood runs through my instrument And his song is in my soul My life has been a poor attempt To imitate the man I'm just a living legacy To the leader of the band We went to high school together. We were high school sweethearts. <laughs> Since about the 10th grade, that's a lot of years to go back <laughs> to remember. Um, I was at a girlfriend's house, I believe, that I was staying over with, and of course a bunch of us girls were outside late, and he lived up there. He was in sports. I was a pom-pom girl. <laughs> that was and about were, it. And you guys were... Homecoming queen. Oh, I was queen. a homecoming queen when, yep, my senior year. So then he was my escort. Of course, I was scared to death to meet Charlie, you know, or. <laughs> Why? Oh, well, because it's Charlie Kern. <laughs> I remember going to a game with him. I can't remember, Mike, I think must have had a different game. So I, for some reason, I rode with Charlie to this game, or maybe he, we were going to meet up. And, uh, and I knew Charlie was quiet, other than when he's on the radio. And so I was quite nervous, and of course he was quiet. All the, you know, I kept trying to think of something to say <laughs> to make conversation. And <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> well, I think he went, he went to UWL for a year, and... I don't know if I was always in the back of his mind to maybe try it or do it, but, um, and he, I don't know, maybe he majored in cards, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we were married in 76. 
I played, I did two years of football, uh, four years of basketball, four years of golf. Golf, I think he didn't come and watch me because he probably felt it would be too much pressure for me. I feel like growing up though, like he would, he would never get upset with us over the big things like crash a car or we, you know, like he, he didn't get overly, it was little things it seems like that he would get mad about if you weren't home on time from your, you know, curfew or something like that. I don't know. I don't think, I don't feel like with us anyway that he got, ever got really mad about the stuff that I thought was going to be like a big deal, you know, like he made me feel like, you know, I crashed a car and had to call him and, and I was, you know, upset and, and he's like, it, it's okay. You know, I mean, just, you know, they, he was supportive and I think there's something to be said for being a little bit scared of your parents. You know, we were always, we didn't want to disappoint him or, you know, we didn't want him to be disappointed in us. And so I think that's a good way of parenting, you know, to be, there's a little bit of that fear of like, okay, I don't want to do something wrong. But at the same time, as we got older, then we just enjoyed, you know, hanging out with them and, and spending time with, with them and mom and dad. And, you know, I think we were just afraid to ask him first. We just go to mom when we ask permission. Yeah, <laughs> well, dad will probably say no. So we're going to go ask mom this one. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, I think we were always, I think we've always been close, a close family. I don't, you know, I don't think there were, I think it was more the perception of, okay, you're going to get to high school and you're not going to want to hang out with us or you're not going to like us anymore. And I don't, and maybe, you know, I'm not saying, I don't think there was a lot of that. I mean, I think we always still did our family stuff and, but it just got to be more fun when you get older and you can sit and have drinks with them and, <laughs> you know, but yeah, that was, no, but they, they were fun. I mean, they'd meet us. Um, we'd hang out over at the Eagle's Nest and my college roommate, and I, or my friend, not my college roommate, my roommate after college. Um, and there was one night that we had got, um, we had bought a bunch of beer for something the next day, I think. And we ended up going to the Eagle's Nest till bar time and then came back here and played bocce ball out in the backyard until four in the morning with mom and dad and our friends. Like they were just, it just got more fun as we got older. And that was, I think before we had kids probably yeah. too. That was maybe when we were engaged or uh, I'm Dan. I'm married to Aaron. I'm the son-in-law. He was a little intimidating. Everyone knew who he was in lacrosse, so yeah, I think we spent a lot of time together. When I when we when I came out here, as I tell people, he introduced me to the the important people in lacrosse. And I would be with Mike, and I don't know if I went to too many smart tables. I went to a few. I think we had a good time because it you know Patrick would either meet up with us or when Patrick wasn't there it was just him and I. I felt very comfortable with him. He treated me with a lot of respect. I mean he knew I loved Aaron so it was it was fun. It felt like I was hanging out with he reminded me a lot of my dad. He gave me the firm handshakes most of the time. <laughs> still still did for a very long time even though we've been married for almost 13 years. Um, I think he eased up a little bit when the grandkids got here. So I have Riley and she'll be 12 on Tuesday, on the 6th. Um, Reagan is nine and Rory's five. He loved being a grandpa, being papa. I think he talked, you know, every time they were gonna come see us for the weekend, he was on the air talking about it, everything that we were you know, gonna do together. And he would, you know, he was one that 
every single one of them, um, you know, slept for hours on that tummy, <laughs> just like Patrick and I did when we were little. He had them all, they all took naps. He loved to hold them. He'd get down on the floor and, you know, lay down next to them if they were playing down on the floor and stuff like that. He'd read, I have pictures of him reading um, books to all of them. And he was just, he was very, he loved being, being a papa. My name is Riley. My name is Reagan. Our little sister is Rory. Um, he always loved us, and he would give us hugs and kisses. I I like that Papa's belly is like Papa's belly is like a really cushioned <laughs> pillow because we always used to sleep on it. Well, Reagan, she would snuggle with him more often. You know, even after his stroke, we'd come to town and and he'd be kind of sitting in the chair and she'd go lay just lay with Papa in his chair. She was the snuggler. <laughs> We used to always cook with them, but I never ate the stuff because I, I'm very picky. <laughs> I remember making like salads with him. Yeah, I remember spaghetti. like and spaghetti, spaghetti topping up all the vegetables for salads. Yeah, and stuff. He, I used to help. Them. Help with the chopping a lot. Yeah. Oh, when we went up north to our cabin, um, and tubing, and I would help Papa drive the boat. Yeah, we all used to help Papa drive the boat. We would sit on his lap, and then we would just, he would tell us where to steer, and then we, we would just steer. Mm -hmm. and, and so. Yeah, if he, if he had any sort of quick temper with us, he was the opposite with them. He was so patient and like stuff that I wouldn't, you know, they, they ask me to bake all the time, and I'm like, oh, it's gonna make up. And he would just let them bake and cook and. I, re I remember when when one time when he when um he took us to this golf course place and, and so he he was showing us like a bunch of like strokes and a bunch of different like um clubs yeah he used to, i mean he used to like cut off the you know golf before they had kids sets for us he would cut off and regrip you know just regular clubs and patrick and i would make holes all throughout the yard and just go around and you know hitting our wiffle balls and then um you know and then once we could play out at the club i mean he he taught us you know everything about golf and etiquette and you know it was it was fun we something we could all do together too how about going to disney when you uh, went to disney with gamma and papa was that fun <laughs> We were in line for all the princesses, and he he dealt with that really. He went well. You guys went. He went on the merry-go-round with the or the carousel. I with still you have guys. I still have pictures of that. Yeah, he had a papa um, a couple of papa dances, right? The, the moonwalk. Moon <laughs> the moonwalk. What's his? Uh, what's the what? It's Little Red Riding Hood, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Little Red Riding Hood, you sure are looking good. Anything a big bad wolf could want. Oh. <laughs> I love Papa. <laughs> he was a very loving person. He he cared for others a lot and he was really kind. He loved to party a lot. <laughs> but I don't know. That is true. I can't say too much or I'll just be an absolute train wreck. Uh I think the saddest part is you don't you don't know the impact somebody has on everyone until they're gone always that's when it all comes out uh, you hear I wish we would 
do more of telling people how awesome they are <laughs> while they're here, which I feel like doesn't... It, I mean, I know a lot of... Everyone loved my dad, and they said a lot of great things to him, but it just seems like whenever anyone is gone, you really find out what they meant to someone's life or the impact they had on it. And it's amazing for me to hear all these people talk about him, and it makes me feel so much better. Uh, I'm glad I got all these good people around me to hold me up. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely proud of him. I mean, I I think, you know, that was one thing, too, that I was always, um, you know, going into, like, going into games with him, or I'd walk in, you know, with him helping carry some of his stuff once in a while or whatever. And I, you know, it was just, I was always proud to be his daughter, to be, you know, <laughs> I know that's where I was. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a lead balloon tribute to Mike Kearns, my dad, and it was a production of Midwest Family. I don't know how I could say it any better than everyone has this past hour. He was just a great man. Thanks to everyone who was a part of our tribute, and to all the folks who love my dad but weren't able to be a part of this. Thank you for being part of his life and my family's life. And a special thank you to Dan Sobronik for sharing his talents and providing so much of the soundtrack for the show. Before we're done, let's all raise a glass to Mike Kearns. I thought about this a lot. The overwhelming thing that I liked about Mike was how much fun he was to be around. He loved to laugh. He loved to make you laugh. You just felt good to be around him. It was just a good feeling, you know, I would, ju- I would just say how much I miss him. He was a great human being, and he did great things for our community. I would say that, Mikey, you've got a lot to be proud of. Your dad would be so proud of you for all the things that um, you accomplished. To Mike, there will never be another one like him anywhere. And I think that the world was a better place with him. Um, my toast to him would be, when I found out he was ill, and then when I found out he was gone, my heart was broke, as if he were a brother. I'll always, for, I, I won't forget anything and that, that, that we've done together, and Mike, uh, he, he'll be in my memory for forever. This is Al Franz, and I toast to Mike Kearns. It was one of the most beautiful, generous human beings that I've ever met, and, uh, and I really miss him. Cheers. I just want to say Mikey was one of the best human beings that ever hit the world, and we're all going to miss him. But, and, and again, Mike, we loved Mike. They're a little damp on Yeah, but we, we loved him, and he was a part of this smart table, as is what's so cool, his son Patrick now. We had a lot of fun on our live remotes and a lot of laughs, but I never saw him as serious and happy that he'd get that glow in his eyes when he talked about his lovely grandchildren. And it's just a shame he didn't have more time to enjoy them. God bless you, Mikey. I love you, man. No Mike forever. And uh, used to listen to his dad on the radio. Um, had the, probably the best times of my life with him. And 
Really miss him. I've known Michael forever, and uh, it's tough. Love the man. And it's, I've got so many stories I could tell, and it's just one of those, everyone was a good one. He and Don, Nancy and I, great times. And I miss him. So, God bless you, man. Um, you know, he was, he was a friend to everyone. Everyone was his friend. He was just a wonderful human being. And I don't know why I have this, but it's appropriate. This is an Irish toast, and I'm sure you've, many of you have heard it. It's, May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. Uh, may the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. I miss him and I love him so much. Love you, Dad. Yep. Love you. <laughs> miss you every day. <laughs> You know, when I was a kid, I wasn't Mike Kearns, I was Charlie's boy. <laughs> it's kind of how I grew up, and I feel sorry for my kids now because that's kind of the way they grew up too, I bet, but uh, it's okay. Uh, you know, the last thing that I thought about doing was changing my name. <laughs> I got into the business, but I guess I'd like to be remembered, uh, kind of like my dad is remembered, as somebody who gave everything that they had to high school and college athletics as far as the coverage is concerned. and. And my dad was a great guy. People still talk about him that way, and if they can say that about me, I mean, what more could you ask? There's a wild pass taken, but the Blue Girls are going to win it. Yeah, pull it out. Ronson Koenig with it. Three seconds, two seconds. Aquinas is going to win the state championship. Aquinas wins it. 53-48 over Lodi and are the Division Three state champions. Hi, Papa. <laughs> How did you know it was me, Reagan? What are you doing? I'm working. What are you doing? Um, I'm just having breakfast. Having breakfast. What is today? I'm... Four. You're four today? Four years old today, huh? Whoops-a-daisy.